Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Troy. You guys can have a seat. So I told you we're going to talk about this word Christian in just a second. But before we get there, you may not know this. My parents misspelled my first name, literally. I I mean, I think they misspelled it. I didn't, I wasn't uh, aware when they were filling out the birth certificate. But my first name, full first name is Jeffrey. Now, usually when you hear that name, the last three letters are spelled R-E-Y. I don't know what my parents were thinking. Maybe they were super tired. They just got done having a baby. But they spelled the last name E-R-Y which technically is pronounced Jeffrey. That's why I just hate to be referred to as my full name. I just prefer to go by Jeff. Because if I were there and the doctors asked my advice, I'd have been like, hold on, wait a second, before you fill that out, that's wrong. It's spelled R-E-Y, not E-R-Y. You totally misspelled the first name. And I'm using this because I want to talk about names today. I, I want to talk about how names identify us and really the word that I want to dwell deep on today, because I think the Bible dwells deep on it, is the word Christian. When you use that word, when people use that word around you, do they use it as a title? And we all know that the word title refers to something that you do, or do they use it as a name, something that you are? See, those names are what people put in their mind when they think about you, when they think about how you look, when they think about how you dress, when they think about your emotions and your intellect, they associate all of that stuff with a name. It's the description of who you are. Titles, however, just refer to what you do. And everybody in this room already knows this. You may have the title classmate, but one of these days, God willing, you're going to finish school and you'll no longer be called classmate. Maybe you have the title coworker, and maybe you change a job. They don't call you coworker anymore. Maybe you have a title of club mate because you're in a fraternity or you're in a social group with somebody else. Those titles, they come and they go. And here's really what I want you to understand before we even dig deep into the Bible today. Titles really don't matter. What matters is your name. That's why I wish my parents would have got this thing right. It's R-E-Y, not E-R-Y. Just don't even call me Jeffrey. Would you just do me a favor and just call me Jeff? The reason why titles don't matter is because titles don't last. The name, that lasts. And when I talk to people about the name of Jesus, and I'm asking them their beliefs. There is a word that I'm listening for when they start to describe who Jesus is. Now, people use all kinds of words to describe the name of Jesus, and I have asked this of lots of people. Hey, to you, what does the name Jesus represent? Or to you, who is Jesus? Do you know what the word that I'm listening for? No matter how you describe him, there's one word that I'm hoping to hear When you answer that question, you know what it is? My. My Lord, my Savior, my King, my Rescuer. What I want to know is your relationship to Jesus. And here's why. Today, Jesus is going to make this abundantly, infinitely clear. Your 
relationship with God the Father is exactly what your relationship with Jesus is. Because of Jesus' relationship to the Father, if he's not your Lord, if he's not your king, he could be a lot of other things to you. But none of those things matter. My king, my Lord, my Savior, that's really all that matters. And today, some religious leaders are going to hear what Jesus has to say about himself and about the Father. And here's really what they're going to ask. Who in the heck do you think you are talking like this, Jesus? This is one of the most powerful parts of the entire New Testament, maybe one of the most explicit parts of the entire Bible where Jesus declares for the whole world, I'll tell you exactly who I am since you've asked the question. But in order for us to get there, we need to talk about names for just a second. And I want to talk about the name Thanos. I did this on purpose for all of you Marvel super fans out there. I'm actually not talking about the Marvel super enemy, arch enemy Thanos, the destroyer of worlds. I'm talking about the Greek word Thanos. Here's where the Greek word Thanos shows up in your Bible. John chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation. There's a bunch of religious re, uh, leaders around, and they're all hypocrites, and they're trying to trap Jesus. And so now they're asking him some religious questions, some legal questions. And when Jesus responded to them last week, here's how they follow up. They ask him a couple questions, and here's Jesus' answer. The Jews responded to Jesus, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon. Now hang on to these two words, Samaritan and demon. We're going to do some work in these two words in just a second. I don't have a demon, Jesus answered. I don't know what the tone of voice was, but I would have been a little bit upset at this point. I don't have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. Can we pause for a second? If you're doing some math, and Jesus' father is God, and what Jesus said is true, and he is honoring God, and they are dishonoring him, then by default, they are dishonoring God. If they are honoring him, and he really is honoring the father, then by default, by honoring Jesus, Christian, you are honoring the father. On the contrary, I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Say Thanos out loud. The word death in the Greek language is the word Thanos. The Marvel comics picked the ultimate villain to be the great supervillain in the Marvel universe. Death is the ultimate enemy. And Jesus makes a bold statement right here on the screens. He says, I honor my father. Anyone who honors me by default honors the father and they will never see death. And Jesus is essentially saying, I am more powerful than death. And if you're like me, this verse should start to rub you wrong a little bit. Like, hold on just a second, Jesus. Are you saying that I won't physically die. But we need to do a little bit of word work in the book of John. 
If you were with us several months ago, we were studying through John chapter 3, and Jesus has a conversation about what it means to be alive. Now in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking about what it means to be dead. In John chapter 3, Jesus had this discussion with a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus, and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born twice. And Nicodemus said, I don't understand, Jesus. How can you come back out of your mother's womb a second time? And Jesus is like, hold on, Nicodemus. I think you're missing it. Stay with me, church. Um, to be born once is a physical birth, but that's not good enough, Nicodemus. You have to have both a physical birth and a spiritual birth. You need to be born a second time Born again is literally the language that Jesus uses. Born twice means physical birth and spiritual birth. The word death that Jesus is using here is exactly the way that his father used it in the Garden of Eden. Adam, I made a tree in the middle of, our, of the garden. Adam, you can do whatever you want. You can have whatever you want. There's only one thing that's off limits. Adam, don't eat from this tree in the middle of the garden because if you eat it, listen to what the Bible says, on the day that you eat it, you will die. And you guys know the Bible, so that you know Adam eats the fruit, but he doesn't fall over dead of a heart attack immediately. Wait a second, God, you said he was going to die. Jesus, you said if I follow you, I'm never going to die. And what Jesus is referring to now is spiritual death. Immediately, as soon as Adam ate the fruit, he died in his relationship with the Father. In fact, when, the, when, when God showed up to hang out with, Jesus, uh, with Adam later on that day, Adam ran away from God instead of running to God. And what the Bible is saying for us today, what Jesus is saying from John, listen to me. Born twice, die once. Born once, you're going to die twice. If you only have a physical birth but are not born again, you will die both a spiritual death and a physical death. If you have a second birth, a rebirth, a spiritual birth, then you will die a physical death, but you will never die a spiritual death. In fact, death is the doorway that you walk through, and Jesus is waiting on the other side, and you will spend an eternity reaping the rewards of that second birth. And what he's referring to here is spiritual life and spiritual death. Now, Jesus is saying, I have the power to defeat death. And it didn't escape anybody in the room. Wait a second. We thought that the great rescuer was going to come to Israel and he was going to deliver us from the Roman government and from the military that's oppressing us. And what Jesus is saying to you, Christian, is I didn't come to make your problems go away. I didn't come to make life a little bit more convenient for you. I came to rescue you from the ultimate enemy. I came to rescue you from eternal spiritual death. I didn't come to defeat the Romans in Israel. I came to defeat death itself. And that's what the name Jesus represents for all of us who call him my, my Lord, my King, my Savior. And so the people hear what Jesus have to say. And now they start to criticize him. In fact, they used two very specific words. They said, you have a demon. You must be a lunatic and demon-possessed. And if you don't have a demon, then they use the ultimate racial slur in Jesus' day. Then you must be 
a Samaritan. And I want you to know that Jesus promises you people didn't like his message. And if you're trying to honor him, they're not going to like your message. In fact, Jesus uses this language, the world hated me and they're going to hate you too. And I want you to know right up front, people are going to criticize you. They're going to critique you. They're going to call you names. And I just want you to ignore them like Jesus does when we pick the story back up in verse 52. Then the Jews said to Jesus, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The the short answer to the question is, yes, I am, but... Are you greater than the prophets who died? And here's the ultimate question, the most important question that any human being will ever answer. This is the most important question you'll ever answer. This is the most important question you will ever ask somebody else. Who do you believe Jesus is? Jesus, who exactly do you claim to be? Because we're starting to hear what you're saying. We're making the connection and we're getting really, really angry about what we're hearing. In Jesus' day, he was, if you were to take last week's sermon and this week's sermon, just go back and listen to the broadcast last week. You can't miss what he's trying to say. He's saying, I can see all of eternity all at the same time. Last week, he said, look, before Abraham ever came around, I was. Last week, he said, I was around at the very beginning when the devil fall, when the devil fell from heaven and when the devil started to convince other people to believe lies. Jesus is claiming, I, rec- I remember all the way back to the very beginning. Today, he's saying, not only do I remember the very beginning, but I can tell you what your eternity is going to be like. I can tell you about the very end, and I can tell you right now that Abraham didn't see death the way that you, religious leaders, are about to see death. Jesus is claiming to represent the very beginning of time, the very end of time as we know it, and everything in the middle all at the same time. And people are starting to hear it. And they're saying, do you really claim to be someone that's bigger and better than Abraham? Because all of our identity is in Abraham. If we can't trace our 23andMe lineage back to Abraham, then we're outcast and have no future in society. And they hear what Jesus has to say, and they're offended. And you know what people that get angry at you do? They call you names. So they say, they're trying to discredit him and his theology by referring to him as a demon possessed. Like, hey, nobody in their right mind would be saying the kind of things that you're saying. So you must be listening to and believe a demon. And when that doesn't work, they refer to him as the ultimate racial slur. In Jesus's day, there was a vitriol hatred for another race of people. It was as bad as anything Dr. King had to deal with in Memphis, Tennessee, when people didn't believe that sanitation workers were truly human because the color of their skin was darker. And men had to march around the city with a sign that said, I am a man, even though my skin is darker than yours. They didn't have to, it wasn't as bad in South Africa when Bishop Desmond Tutu had to convince a culture and a society that just because they come from different parts of the continent and just because their skin is different, 
doesn't make them any less of a human being. In Jesus' day, Samaritans were considered subhuman. And you never, ever associated yourself with Samaritans. So this is the ultimate racial slur. Jesus, you must be demon-possessed. And if you're not, I tell you what you are. Fill in, in your society, the ultimate racial epitaph. That's what they used. You must be a Samaritan. And Jesus doesn't let it hold him down. He doesn't notice how he deals with it. He doesn't even defend himself. He ignores it and moves on. And I promise you, if you are trying to live for Jesus' glory, I promise you, you will experience exactly what Jesus said would happen to you. The world rejected me, and they're going to reject you. They didn't like my message, and they're not going to like your message either. And they're going to criticize. They're going to complain. They're going to call you some names. And I'm telling you, Christian, don't let it hold you down. Don't let it hold you back. Don't even give it any attention. Just keep on honoring the Father and exalting King Jesus because he will ultimately take care of your, he will ultimately judge and stand up at your defense. You don't have to defend yourself. Jesus is dealing with his name and they ask the ultimate question, who on earth do you claim to be, Jesus? Because we're starting to make the connection. And before he answers that question explicitly, which I'm gonna answer about the name Christian in just a second, he tells them, why he's come to earth and what he's trying to do in the first place. And what he tells them is mind-blowing to me. In fact, I struggle a little bit with this very next verse because what he's saying is, I didn't come for my own glory. I didn't come for my own fame. I came to act on behalf of the Father and to make his name famous everywhere I go. Listen to how Jesus responds. If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. And this I struggle with because I'm like, hold on just a second, Jesus. You really are the king of the universe. And you're saying, I stepped down on this very earth that I created, but my glory doesn't matter. My glory is not important. For me, I struggle with that until I read what he says next. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he's the one who glorifies me. Jesus says, I don't have to work hard to make my name famous because if I honor the name of my father, he will make my name famous. You don't know him, but I know him. And if I were to say to you, I don't know him, I would be a liar. I love this part. Like you. Jesus said last week, like you and your father, the devil, who is the originator of all lies. But I do know him and I keep his word. Listen to this, man, he goes on the offensive here. Your father, Abraham, past tense, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. Boom, mind bomb. Everybody in the room is like, hold on just a second. Abraham is an old man, lived centuries and centuries ago. You're a young dude standing right in front of us right now. Jesus, how is it possible that you can say Abraham saw your day and he was happy. He rejoiced to, to see it. Well, if you were to go back and to read the book of Genesis, Abraham really does see Jesus. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that Jesus shows up at his tent and has a meal with Abraham. 
and says, hey, by the way, Abraham, your wife is about to get pregnant and have a baby. And she snickers, ha, 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 there's no way a woman my age is about to have a baby. And he's like, hey, what was that back there? Did you just laugh? Because what I said is going to come to pass. Abraham shows up and he personally tells Abraham, this time next year, you're going to be bouncing your own baby on your own knee. That's what God is going to do, even though you're 100 years old and your wife is 90. Think about that, ladies in the room. And Jesus is saying, hey, Abraham saw my day and Abraham was thrilled to see it. And I need you to understand, you're claiming to follow Abraham, but your faith is nothing like his. In fact, what you're really trying to do is to get your way to God going a different route because Abraham believed God and then God credited it to him as righteousness. And Jesus is saying, Abraham saw my day. And he was happy to see it. And I came so that the Father would get the glory, not me. I want to get personal for just a second. This is going to feel like I'm poking in your chest, and I'm not. But as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to model our life after him. Which means we're supposed to value what he values. And and his message is supposed to be our message. His methods, the way that he does business, is supposed to be the way that we do our business. What motivated Jesus, the mission that he was on, is supposed to be our mission. Do you guys follow me? Everybody with me so far? And Jesus is saying, I don't care about my glory. I only care about my Father's glory. And I try to make his name famous. And as I make his name famous... He will, in turn, take care of me, honor me, stand up on my behalf. And when I read those verses, to be honest, it hurts a little bit. Because if I were to pay attention to how much of my time and my energy gets spent on my glory, and how much of it gets spent on his glory, I'm a little bit ashamed to say, I don't live like Jesus lives. I don't focus as much on his glory and the Father's glory as I do on my glory most of the time. So here's some bad news for you. I don't think God is all that concerned with your glory. I really don't think God cares that much about my glory or even the glory of this church. What he wants is his sons and daughters to be consumed by his glory and passionately Make his name famous. And by doing that, God says, I'll take care of everything else. If you'll just focus on me, spend your time and your energy on my glory and making my name famous, I'll take care of everything else. What I'm saying is you and I are supposed to live like Jesus. And when I look at the way that I live and the way that he lived, I can see a huge disconnect here. So this brings up one of those most powerful statements in all of the Bible about who Jesus is. He's really declaring that he is more than just the son of God. C.S. Lewis, if you're not familiar with that name, he was a brilliant Oxford English professor, but he was also a militant atheist for most of his life. And then finally, a friend of his by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien started to have some conversations with C.S. Lewis about Jesus. And Lewis becomes a Christian. In the course of becoming a Christian, Lewis decided, I've been living for my own fame. I've been living for my own glory. I want people to understand who Jesus is. So he writes a book. Actually, he delivers some, get this, 
public radio addresses on the BBC that become a book entitled Mere Christianity. In that book, C.S. Lewis says, you cannot ride the fence on the name Jesus. I I want you to hear me say today, I hope every single human being here in my voice right now either hates that name with a passion or worships him with every fiber of your being. Anything else in the middle is a gross, terrible mistake. Lewis says, when you really hear who Jesus claimed to be, when you really face it at that level, you're left with only three options. And if I were Lewis, I would take away one of those three options. He says, when you read Jesus's words next, in their own, when you consider it in the context, either you have to say, this man was an absolute fraud and he is a liar as bad as the devil for trying to deceive people into who he is. Or Lewis says, wait a second, there is another option. Maybe he really believed what he says next and he was crazy because nobody would make those kind of statements in their right mind. So Lewis says, he must be a liar or a lunatic or wait, there's a third option. And the third option is he really believed what he says and he really is who he claimed to be. In that case, he can only be one other person. He can only be Lord. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says he is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He does not leave room for anything else. And I personally struggle when people use the phrase son of God. When I ask them, hey, who is Jesus to you? They say, well, you know, he's the son of God. Notice, I didn't hear the word my in there. But I, I want to pause at this point and say, not only is he the son of God, true, and I agree, would you call him God the son? And when I use that phrase, man, people struggle. They're like, mm, I don't know, he, did he ever claim to be God? Like, sure, I got no problems, little g, calling him the son of God but I'm not sure I'm willing to capital G call him God the Son. Did Jesus really claim to be God? And the answer to that question, yes, definitively, unmistakably, absolutely claimed to be God made into flesh. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet and you claim to have seen Abraham who lived a long time ago? And Jesus said to them, I need you to understand the technicality of the Hebrew language at this point. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Say the proper name Yahweh out loud. Y-H-W-H was the most sacred the most special word in the entire history of the Hebrew people. And when the Jews spoke the name of God, they refused to use that name because they were afraid that they would use it improperly and they would be guilty of violating the Ten Commandments. When the Jewish religious guys sat down to write and to to transcribe the Bible and make a second handwritten copy of the Bible, when they get to this word, stop what you're doing, wash your hands, and write it while your hands are trembling a little bit. That's how sacred and how special the word Yahweh is. The word Yahweh is literally God's way of referring to himself. In the book of Exodus, 
when Moses says, God, you're telling me to go back to your people and tell them that you've sent me, and I don't even know who you are, so who are you? And God says, Moses, I'm Yahweh. And Jesus just said, in no ambiguous terms, before Abraham was, I'm Yahweh. And everyone in the crowd heard. You can't miss this from the Bible today. Everyone in the crowd heard what he just said, and they are so angry and so offended that they immediately pass judgment on him, sentence him to blasphemy, and are going to kill him on the spot immediately. Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw it at him. But Jesus was hidden, and he went out of the temple. And what Jesus just said in the Bible is, I am not only the son of God, but you are looking at God the son in your midst. And no one in the crowd that day missed it. And I need to stress this to you because every heresy and blasphemous religion, every false religion on earth gets this wrong. You see, almost all of them are willing to admit that there really was a dude by the name of Jesus, lived a long time ago in Palestine, and he was a good dude. And that's where they stop. And just claiming that Jesus really lived and he was a good guy is a half-truth. And when it comes to Jesus' identity and his deity, half of the truth is a whole lie. You see, only in the authentic faith of the Bible do we claim not only was there a guy who lived in ancient Israel 2,000 years ago, he was a good man, meaning he did good things for people, but he was actually more than just man. He was God who left heaven and came down on earth to become a human sacrifice on my behalf because if he doesn't leave heaven and come to earth, I am still a slave to my sin, last week's sermon, and I have no hope of being forgiven finding freedom, and being born again and experiencing eternal life with God the Father in heaven. And when the Jews ask him the most important question any human being will ever ask, who exactly do you claim to be, Jesus? He uses the word Yahweh. And they are so offended that they immediately try to kill him on the spot for using that word to refer to himself. Now I want to ask you, is that name Christian that you use as a moniker to describe yourself? Is that a title? Meaning, is that what you do? Or is that a name? Who you are? Because I'm afraid in American culture, we toss the word Christian out there like it's a title only. In fact, if you watch the media, it's not only a title, it's a slur. It's a, a word that they use to make you, uh, to talk bad about you. But the name Christian is more than just a title. It's who you are. It's your relationship to the Father that's only possible through the Son. And Christian literally means like Christ, little Christ, follower of Christ. I don't even like to use the word anymore to refer to myself because it's been so distorted and so confused that people hear the word Christian and they think, oh, you go to a church on a Sunday morning instead of on a different day of the week. And I'm like, no, I think you got it all wrong. Christian is not my title. 
It's my name. And it's so important to me, I'm going to wrap up with this, that when somebody asked me to refer to myself, like anything else, Jeff, that you want people to know about you, I was like, yeah, I need you to tell everyone that hears about this that I am a born-again Christian. I gave my first real no-kidding interview. It was, I was ordered to do it against my will by my commander in the army. There was a reporter from the Philadelphia Inquirer by the name of Mark Bowden who showed up right after we returned from Somalia. And Mark Bowden did an interview with only a couple of rangers. And my battalion commander ordered me. I told him no, and he said, Jeff, I'm not giving you an option. You go meet with that reporter, and you go give him an interview. At the end of that interview, Mark Bowden said, Jeff, you've, you've told me the whole story now against your will. Is there anything else you want people to know about you? And I said, yeah, Mark, would you let the readers of this news article know that I'm a born-again Christian? And no exaggeration, Mark was like, man, I'll just tell you right now, I don't even need to ask because if I try to put that in a newsprint for the Philadelphia Inquirer, my editor is not going to let me put that in there. And I said, Mark, I need you to look me in the eyes and I need you to at, at least ask the question, can I print that Jeff Struker is a born-again Christian? So he goes back, he writes the articles that break the internet, and it eventually becomes a New York Times best-selling book. When my name shows up for the first time in that newsprint, nowhere next to it is my identity in Christ. But if you were to read the book Black Hawk Down, the very first time that that name shows up, Mark Bowden was good to his promise. And it says, Jeff Struker is a born-again Christian. And then it starts to describe what I did. Here's why that was such a big deal for me. I don't want my identity to be in what I do. I didn't want people to call me Ranger. I wanted my identity to be in who I am, not what I do. I wanted people to associate the name with my Savior in heaven. And that's why I asked Bowden to print, Jeff Struker is a born-again Christian. And when people hear your name, I hope that you are so passionate for Jesus' glory that they can't miss who you are and what makes you tick. So I want to put a couple of next steps in front of you. And here's the challenge. Every time we come together as a church, don't just hear the Bible. Let it go in one ear and out the other. I want you to take what you hear and put it into practice this week. So maybe somebody was listening just a couple of minutes ago, and it occurred to you, I've had the first birth, the physical birth, but I've never had the second birth, the spiritual birth. I don't think God would definitely call me his son or his daughter because I've never been born again. I need to become a child of God for the first time. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. For all of us in this room, you have a choice. I have an opportunity this week. You're going to have an opportunity this week to either make yourself famous or to try to subtly, wisely introduce the name of Jesus into a conversation and make his name famous this week. Christian would you commit, show me your hands, if you would commit this week, I'm going to attempt to make Jesus' name famous this week. And then lastly, would you hold on to this one when people try to tell you that you're special because of the way that you look or because of 
how smart you are. When they try to tell you that you're not important because you're not successful and you don't have a lot of money. And what they're trying to do is to cause you to identify yourself by what you do instead of whose, not who, whose you are, who you belong to. Would you fight hard to see your identity as a daughter of God or as a son of God? And that and that alone gives you worth as a human being. Would you hang on to that one this week as well? Why don't you bow your heads? Why don't you let me pray for us today? And I need this prayer just as much. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.